Amen. Amen. You can find a seat, man. Welcome in, whether you're joining us online or in person. We are thankful to have you worshiping with us at our 1030 service here at Lindsay Lane North. Uh, man, we are got a lot going on uh, this, uh, this week, uh, even today. Uh, be in prayer. If, by the way, if you are uh, wanting to work or thought about working with our children, uh, we have a children's meeting. I think there's going to be lunch provided as well uh, in uh, here at the church immediately after our second service. We are needing more children's workers, faithful ministers that are willing to um, be a part of that. Our kindergarten through fourth grade, we would love uh, for you to uh, to be a part of that, to see what all that entails uh, and get you uh, a part of the team as well as be in prayer because tonight we are going to have a service. All three campuses are working together. We've got volunteers from all of the campuses. We are uh, doing a service at uh, called Church on the Road at West Limestone High School. So be in prayer for that. Obviously, because space is limited, we're not asking all of our church members or anything like that to be there, but we do have some that are volunteers, or if you're bringing somebody from that West Limestone community, um, we are excited about that to see what God is going to do uh, in that service. And so please be in prayer uh, for that and what we have going on. Uh, as, as Chuck mentioned, mentioned, uh, Will is away. I am thankful uh, for a ministry that does not miss a beat when the leader is out. And so, uh, man, what an incredible time uh, of worship together. Uh, it's just, man, man, what an incredible song. I am thankful for the blood that was applied uh, to my heart, and I hope that you are as well. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're beginning a new series. We've left our evangelism series. Hopefully we haven't left evangelism. Hopefully you are still doing that. Uh, but we are moving into a time, I always feel this way, after October comes and goes, there is a transition that happens. Uh, there's a transition that some of you have maybe already noticed in your home. I came home one day and all the decor in my house had changed. Now, the Christmas tree is not up yet, but I have been informed by my wife uh, that it is on the docket to do tomorrow. So we will have a Christmas. We do have some garlands and all that kind of stuff, stockings hung, but no Christmas tree yet, but that is on its way. But there's a transition that happens in, in November and December, uh, man, that is just really special. Uh, the holiday season is such a special, special time of the year where we invite our families extended and otherwise we invite friends over. It's time of community. And as I was thinking about where we would transition leading into December, uh, where we will be tracking an Advent service and I will, an Advent series, and I will actually share with you a little bit more about that later on in the message. Um, but leading up to that, this holiday season, it, it got me to thinking about the circles of community that are in our lives. All of us, and so the series is titled Circles. Uh, the community that we have in our life. I'm here to tell you that if we don't have strong connections together as believers in the circles of, in spheres of influence that we have in our life, we will never be effective as a church. As a church, we will never be effective until the ministries, until the, the community in our life is where it needs to be. Because strong families are born out of strong individuals. But strong churches are born out of strong families that then birth strong ministries and that then reach the world for the gospel, right? And so, and so we have to understand these circles of community in our life. And with all the transition that's going on in our homes and the decorations and all of those things, I thought there's no better place to begin than in the family. In this holiday season, perhaps more than any other time, <coughs> excuse me, the family 
is emphasized, spending time with our loved ones. We get off school for it, right? We, uh, we eat around a table with family, right? And so, and so we need to have a good understanding of what God has called us, how he has called us to live and function inside the innermost circle uh, of our life, the family. Here is a picture um, that we will continue to track, a diagram that we'll continue to track um, of the little, the little guy. There he is. Uh, many of us, I believe, in our life function this way. We are a individual alone and to ourselves, especially men. Uh, we don't want to have to rely on anybody else to provide everything that we need. Man, there is an importance in the Western culture of a, being a self-made man, right? That it is me against the world, that I am uh, strong enough to withstand any pressure, any, uh, anything that, that could happen in my life. But what we, deter- what we realize is, regardless of what philosophy says, No man is an island unto himself. No one. And in fact, I'll take it a step further. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, especially. If we are to be everything that we are called to be by God, it will only happen in the context of community with others. There are things that God does in our heart individually. But what God does in our heart individually never stays there. It always is moving outward to others. And the first place that it needs to affect is, is the innermost circle of the community in our life, and that is the community, the community of our families. Right? Our family makes up this innermost circle that if we're going to get anything right... If we're going to get any connections, any community right, it needs to be the family. I think about the intentionality, hopefully, that you came to service with today. I hope that you came to service, came to church today to grow. I hope you came to be discipled. I hope you came to be encouraged and to be challenged, to hear God's word preached through song, to hear it preached through, uh, preach, through the preaching and through the message. But I hope you came with intentionality today. What I would tell you is in most of our calendars and most of our time, a going home is a time for us all to relax, right? We have in our mind, we are intentionally going to work. We are intentionally going to worship. And they, those things get the best of us. And so when we come home, we come home, we relax, and we just get to be ourselves. This is the terminology sometimes that we hear used, that we may even hear ourselves. But if this is true, if this is true, the innermost circle of community that God has called us to is the family, then we must live with more intentionality in our homes than we live anywhere else in the world. Anywhere else we find ourselves, we should live with more intentionality in the home. Jonathan Edwards said that every Christian family ought to be, as it were, a little church consecrated to Christ and wholly influenced and governed by his rules. Now think about that. Every family should function as a church, a small, tiny church. Well, what is a church? A church is a collection of believers, right? It is people gathered together to disciple and to send out on mission. This is exactly God's design for our home. According to Deuteronomy 6, this isn't even New Testament. This predates even Jesus, right? According to Deuteronomy chapter 6, the greatest tool that we have for discipleship and evangelism is our family. 
So if we as believers are going to get anything right, we need to get right the home. We need to understand what it means to live in community. These, the four people in my home, I will share a connection with that I will share with no other person in my life. I will, be, I will be closer to no other person just by sheer amount of time spent together. I'm not going to have as much influence on anyone else as I do the four people in my home. So what am I doing to steward this circle in a way that would glorify God? And what we'll find is each of these circles don't negate the other. They're concentric circles. They're circles within circles. And so this innermost circle, once if, when this is healthy, it begins to impact the outer circle and the outer circle until eventually we are bringing people in from the world. We are reaching them with the gospel of Christ because the healthy community that we have is driving us to a lost and dying world that needs Jesus. And so the first thing that we see in Colossians chapter three is the role of spouses. Jesus gives us, or excuse me, Paul gives the church of Colossians, uh, Colossae uh, a picture, really a highlighted list. He is not mixing words here. He's not waxing poetic as Paul sometimes does. This is really the abridged version, the heart that he tells the church of Colossae how they are to function in the roles that God has called them to within the context of family. And this is what it says beginning in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. God gives us perspective to how you view the community that you have placed us within. Father, we don't know where all you will call us in our life. But we do know for certain that you have called us to the community that we find in our home. God, may we live with intentionality there. May we live flavored with the gospel in everything that we do. And may we draw people to you as a result, beginning with our homes and extending outward. From there. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word and the word that you have for us today. May you reveal yourself to us afresh and anew. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 is probably the most, one of the most, if not the most, top five Verses that are taken out of Scripture today. Specifically taken out of Scripture to either be misused in the context of a home or used by an outside world to suggest that what, the, what God would call the family to look like would be arcane and would be um, completely dated and chauvinistic, right? And so the the... Verse there, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As I like to tell couples as I meet with pre and premarital counseling, I'll tell them this passage of scripture is not the make me a sandwich verse. All right? This is not our opportunity as men to lord authority and to force our wives into submission. I think we all knew that. Maybe we couldn't always articulate it. And maybe we just thought it was really funny when we, when we thought it. So we decided to verbalize it and our wives didn't appreciate it as much as we did. Right? But that is not what this verse 
is communicating. Submission here, the word submitting is the passive form of the voice. There's active and a passive tense in the Greek language. This is a passive voice. And so what this is not is an active voice. The active voice of submitting, the word submitting, is meaning to force to submit. It's the idea of a military power that comes in and requires something of the conquered people, right? Uh, In fact, in Scripture, the only place that the active form of the word submit is used, the active voice is used, is in relation to God and his creation. That God being sovereign over creation has made all things subjective to under himself, right? So he is forcibly subjecting because he is the creator, he has power to exercise over his creation. Philippians 3, 21, Romans 8, 20, Ephesians 1, 22. All of them are examples of God's power to submit things under his authority. That is active submission. What this is, is passive submission. Rather than coercion, rather than being forced to submit, something that only God himself has the ability to do, what we see here modeled is willful submission. This is voluntary submission. Wives are to voluntarily submit themselves to their husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Now, what does that mean, as is fitting to the Lord? Right? This should not be taken to mean that man should demand obedience as the Lord demands obedience. Right? The Lord is capable and should demand obedience from us as his creation. We do not... Act in kind to our wives. You, I demand obedience from you just like the Lord demands obedience from me. No. You know why? Because we ain't the Lord. The man is not the Lord. But the reverse of that is also true. This does not mean that wives should only willfully submit when their husbands are behaving like the Lord. Because guess what? It doesn't happen often enough, right? That I'm only going to submit when my husband meets this, meets this list of demands or, or acts in such a way that I am willing to submit to him at that point. What does it say there? It's as is fitting to the Lord. In each of these roles that we're going to find, it has very little to do with the other person and has a lot more to do with the perspective of God that calls us to function in these ways. As it is fitting in the Lord, not their husbands as the Lord or behaving like the Lord, but as it is fitting in the Lord, there is evangelistic ramifications for us responding the way that we do to our husbands and our wives outside of their own behavior. For a husband to love a wife who is acting unlovely, speaks volumes of the gospel. For a wife to willfully submit to a husband and have respect for a man who is not acting respectable and has not done what is needed to earn that respect has incredible ramifications to a world that is looking at my marriage and looking at your marriage to see what's different about it. What's different from a Christian home than a secular home? So it is befitting to the Lord. These roles are different in function, though, not value. When you talk about the idea of submission, you immediately begin to think that it's a positional thing. It is a value-based thing. For a woman to submit to their husband is to place a greater importance on him than her. The exact same word, the problem with that is the exact same word is used in Philippians chapter 2 when it talks about Jesus' posture toward the Father. He who was like God, in the form of God, chose rather to submit and come in the form of a servant. Jesus is not the junior member of the Trinity. He is not kid, G, kid God that, you know, that we can relate to. 
Jesus is co-equal, co-eternal with the God. This is what the Trinity is. The three are not each other. They are distinct individual, but they are part that makes up the whole. Do I understand it? Nope, but I believe it. Okay? But what we see in Jesus is an abandonment of the privilege of heaven, though he was God... He submitted to the will of the Father and he came and he suffered and he died for humanity. He died for the sins of the whole world. I don't know about you, but that submission doesn't communicate value. It communicates function and I am thankful for the role that Christ played, that the Son paid because otherwise we can't thank Jesus for the blood that is applied to us, to our hearts. But Jesus submitted. And so the submission is not seen as one of importance. It's seen as one of function. Like the Trinity, while the three are equal, there is a functional submission to one another. God the Father is not the shot caller of the, of the group, right? But there is a willful submission to one another to function in the roles that they are intended to function in to bring glory to God. What I find interesting is the very verse that is used to damage the reputation of the church to take as my hermenology professor, uh, hermeneutics professor used to say, kicking and screaming out of context is the very next verse is something that we don't see anywhere else in the contemporary writing of this time. The husbands are called to love your wives and to not be harsh with them. There was an understanding of an eros love, of a physical attraction, passionate love. There was an idea of a, a camaraderie, a brotherly love for one another. What we never see in all of the Greek writing, and let me tell you, there was a lot of Greek writing, is an idea of a man loving his wife to the point that he would sacrifice for her. Agape love, the definition of agape love is meeting the needs of others regardless of the cost to self. It's not a romantic love. It's not a warm, fuzzy love. It's not something that's going to make you uh, feel good. It's something that we choose to do. I'd say in a lot of marriage ceremonies that I perform that Hallmark and all of these, Hollywood has placed an importance on a love that's not really love. Because if I can fall into love, who's to say that I can't later fall out of love? But agape love, what God has called us to, by the way, the love that was demonstrated for us on the cross, is what he is calling men to, to do the posture that he, they are to take toward their wives. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, he says to love them like Christ who died for them, who gave her himself up for the church. That our love is to mirror the sacrifice of Christ. And I think about, when I think about these roles... Think about the greatest demonstration of submission that, we've, that the world has ever seen, and that is the submission of Jesus to the plan and the will of the Father to accomplish salvation for us. Do you know why he did it? Love. The submission of Jesus came because of his love, his love for the Father, his love for us, love. And God's glory is what motivated him through submission. The two are 
intertwined. Those that we love, the way that God calls us to love, will willfully submit, will willfully allow the other's needs above their own. And so in so doing, then they are fulfilling the law of Christ. But there's something else here. I've got one daughter and I've got two boys. So I feel like I can speak to this definitively. If you take my daughter and you put her in a room with a full-length mirror and you say, stand here, look into this mirror, I'm leaving. You've got to stay looking at this mirror. What's going to happen over the course of a little bit of time? My daughter's going to turn into a ballerina. She's going to blow kisses to the window, to the, to the mirror. She's going to fluff her dress out and she's going to look pretty and she's going to make sure everything is good. It's just the way that God put her together. You take my boys from the same home, from the same parents, and you put them in front of a mirror, especially my middle kid. If you're, you're trusting a lot in my middle son to trust him with a mirror, full-length mirror, because he's probably just going to punch it and break it, right? But you put him in front of a mirror and something completely different happens. He transforms into Rambo. Or he becomes a great football star. Or he becomes this really important person in, in his mind. He starts using his hands like guns or he starts mirror boxing into the mirror, right? And who told him to do that? It certainly wasn't me and it wasn't their mother. It's the way God created them to be. When my daughter asks for Christmas presents and birthday presents, she doesn't ask for boxing gloves and guns and hunting trips. She asks for dolls to nurture and to love on. And let me tell you, there's some creepy ones out there. <laughs> creepy. But that's what she wants. And she wants to name them all, and she wants to love them all, and she wants to change their diapers, and then she wants to feed them, right? My sons have no desire to do any of that. It's not wrong, it's different, but what is in the nature of my daughter is love and nurturing. It's what God created her as a woman to do, to love and to nurture. And it's not, I understand that this is not 100% in every case, but for the vast majority of people, God created women to love and to be relational by nature. You talk to my wife for any amount of time, right? And she knows everything about you. Now, I may meet more people at one time, but I can't tell you hardly anything about those people as, after we leave. One of the worst things that I do as a pastor is somebody will tell me their name and I literally walk away from them, like steal steps away from them and go, oh, what did they say their name was? My wife's not that way. She's relational. It's the way God put her together. And in the same way, God has called my... God has placed within my wife a desire to love and to nurture. What is a man? The first thing you talk to a man, two men are talking together. What's the first question that you ask? What do you do for a living? What have you achieved? Where do you work? Everything is achievement-based. It's, it's structure-based. When my, my sons, when they get done with football, they always ask me, hey, Dad, did you see where I tackled that guy? Did you see where I blocked that guy real good? Did you, you didn't see where I got knocked over by that other guy, right? Like they're, they're wanting to know, they're wanting to meet some level of approval in my mind. They're wanting to gain my respect. God has placed in the heart of men a way, a, a heart to achieve and to desire respect, Right? It's natural for us to respect one another. I can tell you right now, I respect the socks off of my wife because of what she does with our kids. I'd go out of my mind. I would be insane to put up with what she puts up with. I respect the socks off of her. But I don't always communicate love to her. God's called the men to love their wives, something alien to them, a great opportunity for submission, to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he's called the women 
to respect, not to love, but to respect. Now, we both need it, but it comes alien to the woman to be respect-minded. It's something that has to be earned. That's not how God functions. And so we see these roles clearly defined in the marriage relationship with our spouses, literally the innermost of the innermost circle of our life, your closest neighbor. We are called to submit. We are called to love. And Ephesians 5.33 actually states it very clearly. Wives are to respect their husbands and for the men to love their wives. This is what God has called us to do. Not wrong, just different. But secondly, we see the role of children with parents. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Children are to obey. Now, this is a stronger word than the word submit. This literally means to obey. It means to do what they say. They have authority over you. Children, obey your parents to do what they say. Ephesians 6, 2 actually gives us a little bit better insight into this. He says to children, obey. Obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother so that you will live long in the land, right? So this idea of honoring is this idea of giving value to something, to understanding the value and the importance of this person in your life. To value an individual is to honor them. There's this idea of of, of worth. And so children are to honor their parents in the Lord. They're to obey them. And they're to obey them because their parents always act like Jesus in front of them. I I, I swear, some of (laughs) y'all, if you know me, you know this ain't true, this isn't true. But if you don't know me, I think it's hilarious to hear how many churchgoers picture the home life of a pastor like it is some perpetual worship service where we are just constantly reaching for the hem of Jesus's garment and everything that we do and I speak in King James language when I address my children hearken children unto thine words you know like this doesn't happen all right we are normal people And when I think about children being obedient to the Lord, it's not because the parents are always modeling Jesus. And since they're always modeling Jesus, then you should obey them. No, you are to obey them outside of their behavior, to honor them, to give preference and value to them beyond even their ability to produce an image of Christ's likeness because this pleases the Lord. You are submitting to them. You are loving them through this. You are obeying them. A child's obedience to their parents is an expression of their worship to the Lord. And I just don't believe that this is limited to when you're living in the same home. I believe this Continues. Yes, the immediate context is inside the home. But a child's obedience to their parents is an expression, an honoring of their parents is an expression of the worship of the Lord. Now, which means it has to be done in uh, the right context. It has to be an obedience that does actually please the Lord because parents can become evil. They can cause us or want us, desire us to do things that are not an obedience to the Lord. So it's in that context, but it's pleasing to the Lord. But then it says the role of parents. Parents, most specifically the men. And by the way, in a, in a understanding of the women, you know, this arcane understanding of the women are to raise the children and we are to achieve or the men. It's interesting to me that God places the onus on the man. The responsibility on the man to act in a way that does not discourage or provoke their children, but encourages them and leads them and brings them up in discipleship and instruction. 
We are to be the thermostat, men, of the spiritual temperature of our home. What I would argue is, in many ways, you are, whether you realize it or not. I would say for you to not be the man that God has called you to be, you don't have to look any further than your innermost community to see that the bar has been set very, very low in this area. God says, fathers, by extension, mothers, right? Do not provoke your children lest they become Discouraged. This again speaks to the man's leadership and resulting responsibility in the home. This provocation, the provoking your children to wrath, as one, uh, as one uh, translation puts it, it, it deals with the idea of stirring up. Don't stir up wrath and bitterness in your children. Don't stir up things within them that would cause them to desire to be disobedient to you, to dishonoring to you, and ultimately disobedient and dishonoring to God. Don't create an environment that stunts their growth. This can be done in a variety of different ways. Things like not disciplining your children and just nagging at them. The idea of nagging comes with this idea of stirring, a, a, a constant perpetual thing instead of dealing with behavior, disciplining, and then moving forward in love as you continue. An idea of over-disciplining your children, right? Creating an environment in which your children are disciplined not because of inappropriate behavior, but just because they did not meet unrealistic expectations that you've placed on them. Being someone who makes it impossible to live up to the standard that you've placed in them. My sons will have a lot of coaches in life. I have a lot of them. If they continue in sports, they'll have multiple coaches. And I might be one of those coaches from time to time, and I may wear a coach's hat from time to time. But I'm going to tell you a difficult thing for me. My kids will only have one dad. And I haven't been called to show my kids the best way they can get 1% better in whatever sport they're playing. God has called me as their father to not provoke them to anything, to not stir within them anything that would cause ungodliness, that would lead them away from Christ. And I saw this in, in my own life. Uh, we played contact football uh, this year, and there were some rough times, some growing moments. Uh, but the reason why we did it is for Cooper, he wants to play for Elkmont next year. And let me tell you, he is jam up excited about being an Elkmont Red Devil in middle school next year. He is so excited. Coach Bunio, God, love him. That man has the patience of Job because my kid will nag the horns off a billy goat when he's really obsessed about something. He's obsessed about playing football. He's obsessed with it, and we wanted to get him one year of experience before we just threw him in the deep end and, hey, hope you figure it out, because he needed to learn the positions and all that stuff, so that's why we played. Now, my younger son, he's actually starting out in football, because Hudson was built for football, running into things uh, headlong, uh, and, so, and so that's why we, we played football. And I remember for Cooper, though, that meant that a lot of kids have been playing football for a long time. Baseball has been his jam. And he didn't get to play a whole lot. He was not one of the best kids on the team. And in close games, one game in particular, it was really, really close. Came down to the last play of the game. <laughs> and I looked over, and there were a lot of Cooper's friends that hadn't played as much as they'd have liked to either. And boy, they were upset. They were disappointed. They were down and dejected. They didn't care what happened in the game. They were mad because they had been mistreated. That last play comes and goes. Before that play, I'm watching Cooper get excited, getting all of his teammates up. I mean, you'd thought he was a star quarterback, the way the kid was responding. Right? Hadn't hardly played it down, but he is fired up, son. He is just 
Man, he's excited. And they, the last play goes, and he goes crazy. He runs up, and he like chest bumps the biggest kid on their team. The kid sends Cooper flying four or five yards back. He gets up. He does it again with somebody else. Like, man, he, you could tell, he just, he was excited to be a part of it. The name on the front of the jersey meant more than the name on the back for him. And let me tell you, in that game, there was plenty of things that I could have coached in my kid. Oh, dad coach could have said, well, son, you went the wrong way on this one play and you got your quarterback killed. Uh, you, you didn't block the way that you should. You didn't keep your feet moving. You arm tackled this. I, I could have 1% reviewed, but I did something that I never really did. I don't, I, didn't, I don't do this often to my detriment. I said, son, I, know, I want you to know I saw you. And when everything was going on around you was not going your way, and you weren't getting a chance to play, I saw your heart more than anything. And I just want you to know I'm proud of you. And that I love you, and that I don't care if you're ever good at sports, because what I saw today is something that's going to better you for a long time. And I'll tell you this, Jesus doesn't really care if you're good at sports. Jesus cares about what you, how you acted today. Jesus cares about your heart. That's what he cares about. And so I want you to know that I care about that as your dad. And we talked and Hayden, Hayden, we went on and ate and all that kind of stuff you do after a ball game. And I, had to, I took him home, and then I came back, and I had to fill the baptistry. And I get a call from my wife, and she's like, if you got to get home right this second, because your son is dying. Somebody who otherwise just, he, football, that's what he did. He, just, he didn't want to watch it. Your son is dying to watch Kentucky-Florida with you. Like, he is dying to watch this football game with you. And I sat down with my son beside him on the couch, and we started talking. He started asking me questions. I actually got to coach him a little bit. But all of that came from an understanding that my son is valuable, not because of his behavior, not because of what he does, not because of, of any of those things, but because of who he is to God, what he is, that he has been placed in my life to shepherd and to lead. He'll have other coaches. He's only going to have one dad. And God hasn't called me to make him better. He's called me to love him and to demonstrate love and to show him love. And to be intentional in that. I feel like we're very intentional in a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we're intentional about. As a family, in your circles, we are intentional about stuff. There are things that we do in the holiday season, people lose their mind. I go duck hunting, and that's crazy enough, especially in North Alabama, where you don't kill anything, you just hunt. You, know, you don't kill, you just hunt. You just sit there. Um, and get cold. Some of you ladies go to that Black Friday stuff, risk being trampled, right? So that you can get, you know, they don't, they're not giving the stuff away. You're still having to buy it. Like you still have to use money, but it's cheaper, right? We do a lot of things intentional. As a family, a lot of times our traditions revolve around some pretty intentional efforts uh, that are made. I was intentional today and y'all don't even know it. <clears throat> We get pretty creative about our intentionality, don't we? Anybody, anybody seen him before at your house? I hadn't seen him at mine either. But man, we do some really... By the way, he's taking notes on my sermon today. Y'all should take, take, take notes as well. <laughs> like that. Um, I was hoping he hadn't fallen over asleep, but he hadn't. So he's been taking notes. We're really intentional Man, me and my wife, man, we're just not that creative, right? But he shows up and is doing a different thing every night, and that's a cool family. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. I think it's fun. Good on you if you, if you can maintain. But I want to give you the opportunity to church. One of the most, things that I'm most excited about about this series is we're going to make available an Advent devotional. For a family. I don't know if you've ever done this before with your family or not. I don't know if you've ever done a, de a devotion with your family at all. 
It is a less than five minute devotional every day. Okay, I, it's real short. It can be done whenever in the day. We're going to make them available. They're $15. Literally, that is to recoup the money that we have invested in it. Um, $15 that they will be go on sale beginning next week. So next week, bring $15 to get your devotional. They have questions. They have the scripture and they have the teaching and then they have questions. You can ask for children or you can ask questions of the adults or teenagers. Um, But it's just a way for us in this holiday season to point our family in the direction that they need to go. This is a long way from completely discipling your kids or your family and your wife, husband and wife. But it's a foot in the door. And I want us to begin to think about how God has called us to minister to this innermost circle. And we want to give you that opportunity. It'll go until the 25th. And the 25th, December 25th, Christmas Day, is on a Sunday. So we don't know all the details of what that's going to look like. But we're going to celebrate together this Advent uh, devotion that we're doing as a family. We're going to do it together as a church family. It involves multiple circles that we'll talk about. Multiple circles of community but I think it's going to be a neat time and give us an opportunity just to have conversations that matter, to be, have intentional moments when many times we just fail to be intentional. We're intentional about a lot of things, but not always about our family. Thirdly and finally, we see the role of, of disciples. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This does not advocate slavery, by the way. Bond service uh, in that day had much more political and financial ramifications than it did racial ramifications. But people, a lot of times, were indentured servants. They were paying off a debt that they could not survive without going into debt with people, and they would serve that debt off. And sometimes those masters were brutal. Sometimes those masters were terrible people, right? And so, uh, and so they were... Jesus is telling them, listen, even in the home, even the servants in the home, which was a reality of that day, serve not the masters of the home, serve the master. Serve them as you are serving God, not with eye service, not to make it look good for the the people that are over you, but with sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, now we hear this all the time to, to talk about hard work and how we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for man. This is done in the context of home. This is done in the context of the inner circle, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do we live with intentionality in our homes? Because we are not serving our husbands. We are not serving our wives. We're not serving our children. We're not serving our parents. Even slaves that found themselves in this context, in these homes, were not even serving their actual masters. They were serving something higher and something greater. Ultimately, our love, our respect, our obedience, and our service, all that was required by God in this text to one another in the home has nothing to do with the behavior of the individuals in the home, but it has everything to do with the Lord who is over the home. Nothing to do with those individuals. There will be times that your wife acts very unlovely. There will be times that your husbands will act very unrespectable. There will be times that your children will make you want to pull your hair out. There's going to be times that your parents will do things you don't understand. But none of that matters because ultimately who we answer to is Christ. Is he the Lord of our homes. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I'll tell you this. Christ won't be the Lord of your home unless he's the Lord of your heart first. 
So we draw our love, we draw our respect, our obedience, our service of one another, we draw that from a relationship with a God that has done those things for us. That has loved and served us. Seen our value. So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're the most important person in this room. And I would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. That he'd be the Lord of your life then let him use that relationship to lead you to be the Lord of your home as you seek to lead this innermost circle in the way that they should go. That comes through the recognition that you're a sinner, a recognition that you've done things wrong, that you have separated yourself from a holy God through your sin. And when we confess that sin, when we repent and turn from that sin, we can surrender our life to Christ who did what we couldn't do, lived a sinless life, and then died on the cross the death that we deserved. They can have eternal life. So if you're here and you don't have that relationship with God nailed down, pray that today you would do that. We've got counselors that are here would love to talk to anybody that would like to make that decision. You can, when I say amen, you can come find this center aisle. Find me here at the front. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe there's another decision you need to make. Maybe you need to spend time at this altar lifting up your family. Praying for them. Maybe there's not even anything really wrong. You just need to intercede for your family. Maybe that's an intentional step that God's calling you to make and to do today. Whatever decision you need to make, I pray that you would respond as the Spirit leads. Father, have your will and way in this service. In this time of response, let us be so moved by you and your love that, God, that we would be obedient submissive to your will and your direction in our life. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to respond to you in relationship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing? If you need to make any decision today, would you come? This altar's open. You can pray whatever needs to be done. Pray that you would do it in this moment.